Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, crazy martinis for conservatives today. And uh, Jim, let's uh, dig right in with the good martini. It's a good martini that I think a lot of folks pretty much for the past, oh, six or more years could have told you was pretty much the story. But of course, one of the many reasons or excuses to explain Donald Trump's victory over Hillary Clinton in 2016 was Russian collusion. Well, the Mueller report pretty much showed that uh, there was no meaningful collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. And then, of course, there was the issue of uh, Russian memes, content farms in Macedonia and so forth, and how that was used to sway voters. We joked at the time that these ridiculous memes had nothing to do with the general outcome. The idea that people would be swayed by them is uh, kind of ridiculous. Usually they show up in the feeds of people who already know who they're voting for and so forth. But uh, nonetheless, uh, many people reporting yesterday, uh, your boss, Rich Lowry, among them, that uh, there's now been a detailed report on this. And essentially, the uh, impact of all this uh, Russian effort in 2016 was negligible at best. So does this put anything to bed or are the Democrats so wet to this narrative that they're just going to keep going with it anyway? I was going to say this study is unlikely to change very much. You don't hear Democrats talking about it as much, in part because Joe Biden won the 2020 presidential election. If Trump had won, my guess is you'd be hearing a lot more talk about how sinister influence of Russian bots and other things brainwashed Americans into voting for Trump over Joe Biden, et cetera. Now, from the very beginning, we've known that the, you know, the images of like uh, Hillary Clinton in a boxing ring with Jesus Christ and things like that, Facebook allows you to determine what your target demographics are. And they had selected very conservative voters. So unless you think there were a whole bunch of very conservative voters who were just itching to vote for Hillary Clinton, Uh, But then they saw this Facebook post like, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to vote for Hillary Clinton now. She wants to box Jesus Christ. As somebody said, find me one American who, uh, you know, could say, yes, I was swayed by these Facebook ads. Uh, You know, my guess is you couldn't find any of them. Now, one of the other frustrating aspects of this is, you know, we have a political debate that uh, gravitates towards the extremes and it really doesn't like nuance. It doesn't like drawing distinctions. It is not good for American politics for the Internet Research Agency, a de facto agent of the Russian state based in St. Petersburg, to be flooding American social media with, you know, uh, know, propaganda and ads and things that are designed to exacerbate the tensions amongst Americans. Uh, You know, Cyber Command took them out of commission in the 2018 uh, election day. And I think that generally we should be opposing this. That having been said, you you know, saying, you know, Russian efforts to influence Americans are a bad thing does not mean that the outcomes of elections are determined by the Russians. And that was always, you know, that was a impassioned, really, you know, wide scale conspiracy theory over Washington for much of the Trump era. Uh, It's good to have these answers now. I'm glad somebody did the, you know, real, you know, driving down into the data research. But it tells us what most of us could tell from very early on, that this is not a good thing, but it is not necessarily something that uh, you know determines influ- or really influences the outcome of an election. I think that there are a group of people who are really invested in this notion that social media has this enormous influence over the decisions we make. One are the social media companies themselves 
which makes advertising there really worthwhile. And anyone who is a self-proclaimed social media expert who wants you to book them onto their shows to talk about how sinister and terrible the influence of social media is. Yeah, it's just uh, absolutely insane. But they needed an excuse. They needed a reason for why they got overconfident uh, in 2016. Uh, the, the fact is that they were popping champagne on the plane the night before, not going to the key states. Uh, I think turnout, especially in major metropolitan areas, was much lower than usual. They thought they had it in the bag. They didn't, and they uh, they were embarrassed, and they had to come up with something. And so then we got this whole parade of things like Jim Comey and the Russians and the Electoral College and women obeying their husbands and not thinking about who they were going to vote for and all that. So, And, of course, it was the Clinton campaign, actually, that was working with the Russians to put together the phony steel dossier, but they just can't accept reality sometimes, and it uh, seems like that's happening more and more. But uh, in this particular case, uh, no matter what the, the data shows, I think they're going to stick to their narrative, unfortunately. But that's still the good martini. Uh, nonetheless, there's more good news out there. You know, it's a new year. You probably have a resolution on maybe some ways to save some money. Well, a good way is to stop spending money on things you don't use anymore. And so rocket money can be a huge help. Say goodbye to last year's outdated, disorganized methods of managing your money and say hello to rocket money, the better way to hack your finances in 2023. Rocket money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It also monitors your spending and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Turns out more than 80% of people have subscriptions they just forgot about. And Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. You just find the subscription you don't want and you press cancel. More than 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 each year. And look, you go over your credit card bill, and sometimes you're like, what is that thing? And then you investigate a little further. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't use that anymore. Get rid of it. But let Rocket Money do it. It's so much easier. Stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash martini. That's rocketmoney.com slash martini. One more time, rocketmoney.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And Joe Biden sure had a lot to say about the uh, Justice Department's investigation into classified documents at Mar-a-Lago not too long ago. But now we have evidence that uh, documents from Biden's days as vice president ended up at the Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement uh, in Washington. Uh, according to CBS News and many other places, Attorney General Merrick Garland has assigned the U.S. attorney in Chicago to review documents marked classified that were found at the center. The roughly 10 documents are from uh, the vice presidential office uh, during those eight years that Biden was VP. CBS News has also learned the FBI is involved in the U.S. attorney's inquiry. The material was identified by personal attorneys for Mr. Biden on November 2nd, just before the midterm elections. Uh, Richard Sauber, special counsel to the president, has confirmed the documents were discovered when Mr. Biden's personal attorneys were packing files housed in a locked closet to prepare to vacate the office space at the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C. And so uh, they say that they immediately uh, returned the documents once they realized uh, the sensitive nature. And so this is nothing at all like what happened at Mar-a-Lago, where, where Trump refused to give them back. So, uh, Jim, how much uh, how much eggs on the president's face here? Quite a bit, Greg. And is exacerbated by Biden saying things, as I mentioned in today's morning jolt, about just totally irresponsible, as Biden said in an interview with 60 Minutes a few months ago. Look, are there differences? Yeah, there, there are. Are they significant differences in a court of law? Maybe, although, again, most of the excuses you could put forth for Joe Biden 
it was unclear which documents were classified. This was an innocent mistake. It got placed in the wrong pile. In the process of a transition, there are a lot of documents going into a lot of boxes and somebody made. Nobody was trying to hide anything. Nobody was up to no good. This was just an innocent mix-up that happens all the time. You know, the Trump administration can roll out that uh, that explanation just as well. Whether, you know, uh, prosecutors and a jury would believe it is different. But I do think this makes indicting Donald Trump on criminal charges related to the handling of these documents just about impossible. Uh, because, you know, the court of public opinion would see it as like, wait a second, you do, you're, you're going to press criminal charges against Trump. But when Biden has this situation, very similar situation, same thing, you know, same pr- underlying principle. When you leave the presidency or vice presidency, you got to turn over all the classified documents. Biden did not, just the way Trump did not. And then because say, ah, oh, well, one's criminal and the other is no big deal. The other is just an innocent mistake. You know, the general public will. That would be pouring gasoline onto an angry public that already believes in a deep state effort to prosecute Donald Trump for any excuse whatsoever. I was kind of figuring that of all the ongoing investigations of Trump, this was the one that was least likely to end with criminal charges. The National Archives wanted them back once you've returned it. Uh, as far as we can tell, no harm, no foul, minimal harm, minimal foul. And I kind of wondered if you wanted to attempt to have the Department of Justice run by the guy who lost to Trump trying to prosecute Trump after Trump has announced he's running for re-election. Is it worth the headache? Is it worth the perception that this is some vendetta against him? My guess is no. My guess is that, you know, and if there was any doubt before then, yesterday's events make it even tougher my suspicion is this you know so by this by that standard you could say this is a good martini i think this is kind of a ridiculous martini in that you know here it is biden has made the exact same error that trump did when he left the presidency so if nothing happens to either of them though is that good news i mean you do want them treated the same but do you want no consequences for things like that or do you just need to move on as long as nothing nefarious was done with them oh greg Unaccountability is a bipartisan Washington tradition. (laughs) Why change now? All right. On to uh, our crazy martini now, Jim. And you talk about this a great deal in the morning jolt today. Uh, As we reported uh, last year, I was out as the uh, batting leadoff position for the Democrats in 2024. Uh, Instead, it's going to be South Carolina actually going to go first, uh, followed quickly by uh, New Hampshire and Nevada uh, three days after that, then Georgia a week after that, and Michigan two weeks after that. But apparently, Joe Biden wants Georgia brought up even sooner than February 13th, which would be just 10 days after the opening primary in South Carolina. He says uh, it needs to be moved up further because you need more people of color having a say earlier on in the process. Meanwhile, you've got people like New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu spitting nails. And, you know, when he was on the podcast last year, he made it very clear that he thought only one state uh, has earned the uh, first in the nation position. So not only is he going to be fighting against Georgia moving up ahead of him, he's going to be still fighting up uh, against uh, South Carolina and says, come hell or high water. That's his phrase. New Hampshire will be first. And so I don't know if we're going to have a situation like the Democrats in 2008, where everybody's trying to move up and the DNC was deciding which delegates count and which ones don't. Uh, Kind of a mess, kind of fun to watch, but uh, it's also interesting to watch the pushback to the president, who you would think would kind of get what he wants here, but not so fast, as Lee Corso likes to say. Yeah, this is, this is, I think, going to be a, it's kind of an under the radar fight up until now. And I think it's about to flare up in a very dramatic way. For a long time, residents of 49 states have asked, wait, why does Iowa get to go first? What's so special about them? Uh, And then the absolute debacle of 
uh, the last cycle made it you're like, okay, no, we can't do this. This is ridiculous. They guys can't, these guys can't even count the votes. They no longer get to go first. Now, the Iowa Republican Party is going to say, hey, wait a second. We didn't screw up. We didn't really have much of a caucus at all last cycle. Trump was running, I'm going to say, effectively unopposed. Yes, I know Mark Sanford and was it Joe Walsh was in there and Weld and uh, a yeah, couple others. Yeah. yeah, you know, the, the, you know, <laughs> random lesser known figures were, were running against Trump. But the Iowa Republican Party is going to say, wait, why are you going to punish us for what the Iowa Democrats did? They're the ones who put everything in a, you know... Uh, fancy electronic system that where all the wiring apparently ran through an old man's knees, where if it rained, all of a sudden it couldn't work or something like that. So, you know, and Biden uh, said, okay, well, we're going to start with Georgia. So, you know, surprising this one, although Democrats have had some success in Georgia lately, and that uh, New Hampshire would now share uh, a date with Nevada. And as you mentioned, you, know, you want to see New Hampshire Democrats and Republicans all come together real fast. This has done that. And you see Maggie Hassan and Kristen Nunu and everybody else saying, no, 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 no. And they can also make a legitimate point. Hey, we didn't screw up our system. Our 2020 primary was a smooth sailing. We don't have any, you know, why are you going to punish us for doing it? Now, the fact that Joe Biden wrote a letter to the DNC on this and said, look, we need to have, uh, we need to change the schedule and we need to ensure that voters of color have a significant say in this process and have a significant say early on. Look, that seems like a pretty clear shot at the state of New Hampshire. It is just under 93% white. And there are numerous Democrats who've said for years that the two leading, the two states that kick things off are too white. I would also note, and I think this is a, you know, I, I this is, this is the most cynical interpretation of this, which is why a bit in a variation of, of um, Occam's razor, I think it might be the most likely to be true. Joe Biden has never done well in Iowa or New Hampshire. I don't think Joe Biden has particularly fond memories of campaigning in Iowa or New Hampshire. So I don't think Joe Biden feels any particular vested interest in keeping those two states at the beginning of the process. South Carolina would do very well under this system, as would Georgia, two southern states uh, that are really you know, right next to each other, geographically and culturally similar. The African-American vote is very important in both of those. And oh, by the way, those were two states that... Uh, Joe Biden did very well in, and you could argue the South Carolina Democratic primary of 2020 saved Joe Biden and his presidential career. And that if he doesn't do well in that primary, maybe everything about the race shakes out very differently. So this does, to me, look like Joe Biden playing favorites among states that have been supportive of him and states that have not been supportive of him. That said, there are 48 states who have been asking for a long time, wait, why do Iowa and New Hampshire get to go first? Greg, I think you would agree the proposal to have Virginia go first uh, makes a lot of sense because we live here and we want to go first. Uh, alternately, I think it would make a lot of sense to uh, try to rotate it uh, every cycle to give different states a different, uh, you know, feel more important in the process. We all know that the start out with a big field and then after a few contests, it whittles down usually to uh, just a handful or sometimes just two. So um, I think this is going to be a big fight. I, I don't think this is the sort of thing you can dictate from the Oval Office. I'm not surprised that you're seeing pushback. Probably the angle that is most intriguing for right of center voters is the head of the New Hampshire Democratic Party is saying, look, if you screw us over, if you push us to, you know, the back of the line or, or not the back of the line, but, you know, from if you dislodge us from our traditional first in the nation role, New Hampshire voters are going to remember this and they're going to be pissed and they're going to be really irritated. They will not forget in November 2024. And he thinks this may well cost the Democrats several states in the next cycle. So. All I can say is from his lips to the electorate's ears, um, and I hope that comes to pass. The other thing which is worth noting is that for all the complaints that, ah, uh, you know, New Hampshire is white, it's also generally a swing state. 
Um, probably the only one you could say in the Northeast that really fits that category very well. And, uh, you know, an interesting question would be, don't you want one of your first contests to be something that is not a, you know, that isn't California, that isn't uh, Hawaii, some sort of Democratic Party stronghold that is not representative of the country as a whole? Anyway, a lot to chew over in the coming year. I think this qualifies as crazy and uh, worth keeping an eye on as uh, this fight heats up. I think your Occam's razor argument is spot on. In three presidential campaigns, Biden only made it to New Hampshire once. Uh, the first time he plagiarized out before Iowa. Uh, the second time he did so badly and Iowa didn't go on. And last time he got thrashed in both Iowa and New Hampshire, but kept going. The only thing we remember from New Hampshire was his dog face pony soldier line. And so, I, yeah, I can see why he wouldn't want that to be out there. The funny part, though, Jim, is that the way things are going right now, he might not even have a primary. In fact, he probably won't. So we're doing all of this rearranging for a Democratic nomination process that has only one real candidate. And so uh, why they're so worried about that right now, I don't know. But it'd be interesting to watch how how it plays out and whether it does have any impact in November. Hey, we'll take anything we can get uh, to, to move on from Joe Biden for sure. Anyway, Jim, crazy day as always. We'll see what, uh, we'll see what we got tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already, and please tell a friend about us as well. Thanks also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please, please keep those coming. Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday and join us again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.